All right, good morning, Three Circle Church. Great to be with you guys. We've got all of our campuses joining us right now to kick off the Christmas season. We really did that last week with Advent Sunday, but today we kick off our yearly Christmas series, and this year it is called Traditions. Now, when I say the word traditions, I bet all of you have things that pop into your mind. Things that you grew up with, maybe. What were the traditions that your family had that maybe were unique to others? Uh, Maybe right now, you, if you're an adult and you have kids and all that good stuff, you have some traditions. So when I was a kid growing up, we uh, lived on a big farm, and and my dad was a police officer, so often me and my brother, we would get up really early and do our Christmas gifts. And then often my dad had to go and serve and and, and be with the police. And so often we would then, and every Christmas we did this because we lived close to my grandparents, we would end up there for breakfast where my grandma would make fried chicken and biscuits, all right? And this is before Chick-fil-A decided to monetize this thing, okay? This is before that was a thing. Uh, you know, there were sausage biscuits, not chicken biscuits. And so we did that every Christmas. That was just a tradition. It was awesome. And now as an adult, well, my family got lots, my wife is awesome about building traditions for, for our family. So every Christmas we have this amazing, uh, Christmas breakfast casserole that Nan makes that we don't make any other time of the year. And then we have these Santa mugs that we, we do hot chocolate. And then we have like baby bottled Cokes. That's a part of our Christmas morning that we ice down. And if we don't have all those elements, man, the kids are going to like run us out of the house. I mean, it is our traditions. This is what we do. And I bet you have some of those as well. And so what we want to do this season is we want to look at some traditions that I think are common to all of us, like uh, lights, decorations, uh, giving gifts, food, amen, you know, uh, all of those things that we do and redeem them to the glory of God to understand that they can have unbelievable meaning, and they should for us as believers, that absolutely these things should be dripping in meaning. In fact, John Piper said this. He literally talked about uh, Clark Griswold, and he said, believers who understand the gospel should go Griswold level in our decorating at Christmas, okay? He's like, we should go all out. And we should. And and let me just help you. I'm not trying to guilt anyone who's not big into decor. But if your decor is simple or wild, in fact, if you look like this guy every Christmas right before you light it all up, if that's you, then that's okay as long as you understand what it's all about. Like Christians should get why this is so special. So my hope is today and through this series, if you're a believer, to remind you of why we celebrate and why we put up trees and lights and why we decked out this church, why we do all that. In fact, I'm not a big titler of sermons, okay? So my sermons typically, you don't have a title. But if I were going to give this one a title, I would say this. What is so special about Jesus? That's the question I want to answer for you today. Why him? What's so special about him? There's been a lot of people, a lot of men, a lot of sacrifices. You're going to see today there's been a lot of lambs. Why him? Why is he so important? There were a lot of crucifixions besides his. The Romans crucified lots of people. Why is he special? Why did he turn the world upside down? Why are we still celebrating? Why on your radio stations right now, people who don't even know what they're singing are singing about Jesus right now? Why? Well, there's something special about Jesus. And we're going to look at it today. And the way we're going to look at it today is we're going to see that John the Baptist, who knew Jesus and knew who he was, celebrated his coming very, very effectively. And we're going to say that John the Baptist kind of did what we're going to call verbal decorating. He didn't have trees and lights and, and potpourri and all that stuff, but he did have his words. 
And he made a big deal. In fact, his biblical job was to prepare the way. He had been prophesied about by Isaiah and others as well. And his job on this planet was to prepare the way for Jesus. And that's what he did. And today, to kick off our Christmas series, we're going to look at one verse from the famous John the Baptist. And it is a theological masterpiece. And it's so simple you could memorize it by the end of the day. And in fact, I just challenge you to do that. You might could memorize it by the end of my sermon. I'm going to say it so many times. This is a theological shot. In fact, one of our campus pastors who's preaching on this passage today, he said, you know, as I look at this and you look at the history of it, the world's never been the same from the moment John the Baptist said these words. That's how powerful this statement is. So we go to it now, John 1, 29. We're going to look at what he said, and then we're going to look at the four different things he said in this verse that should kick off our Christmas very well. John 1, 29. It says, the next day... John the Baptist, so what happened the day before if it's the next day? Well, he had been doing ministry, and John the Baptist is 30 years old, which means Jesus is basically 30 years old, and John came before him in public ministry, and John was preaching the house down, and everyone was going out into the wilderness, the woods, outside of Jerusalem to hear John preach, and they're becoming believers in God, and they're being baptized like what we're doing at our campuses today, and he was famous, he was famous. He's a rock star, if you will. Everyone's coming to see this guy. And on this day, he saw Jesus coming toward him. Remember, people don't know who Jesus is yet. They're going to. And how did he decorate for the season? What did he do with his words? What kind of tree, what kind of lights did he put up? Here's what he said. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that, my friends is an explosive, earth-shattering, world-shaking, religion-changing, heart-transforming statement. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now let's dive into what he is saying here. And part one of this statement he makes is this. Behold, it's one word. It's a word that does not uh, find its way into our language much anymore. We don't use this word much anymore, but I'm thinking about bringing it back. In fact, the next, I like to grill steaks and I think they're pretty good. And the next time I walk into the house with a plate of my steaks, I'm going to say, behold. <laughs> what does behold mean? It's a great word. Behold means this. It means to stop, observe, understand, and appreciate. The first thing John said everyone out in those woods needed to do when he saw Jesus coming is he said, you need to stop, drop everything you're doing, and take a look. Behold does not just mean to look, by the way. It means it starts there, but it continues. It means not only do we look upon him, but we begin to observe him. We observe who he is. We actually want to know more and then understand. It means we work at it a little bit. We read. That's why we've done a devotional that I hope everyone will get your hands on for you and your families this Christmas. I hope that every day you'll get up and get into the word and get your mind and your heart on who Jesus really is. Behold and understand. And then when you stop, observe, and understand Jesus, it inevitably leads to appreciation. I hope today by the end of this message you go, man, I, I just appreciate Jesus so much. This is more than trees. In fact, I want my tree to be even better now that I understand what this is all about and why we celebrate. But I think the stop part is important because we're not real good at stopping, are we? Now you may think, you may think wrongly, by the way, that the people who were listening to Jesus talk 
that they were listening to John the Baptist talk about Jesus, that they weren't busy like us. You know, they didn't have cell phones and cars and all that. Yeah, but they were also on the verge on any day of starving to death. Did you know that? Like in their day, they didn't have the new Publix being built down the road. They didn't have freezers and refrigerators and a box of cereal and oatmeal on the counter that would last forever and canned goods. They didn't have all that. They had to eat what they got that day and there was always food fear when it came to this ancient world. Always on their minds. They had economic issues. Oh, by the way, they were under uh, the government of Rome that was uh, really a dictatorship. So they were, they were always in tax trouble. They were all, it was a really tough time. They were just as anxious and worried and busy as you are. They had kids too. And on top of that, they all had a herd of sheep somewhere. You know what I mean? I mean, it was hard. So they're anxious too. And yet John looks at them. So I bet he'd look at all those busy people and he says, stop, hit the brakes, slow it down. If you're like me, at Christmas time, it gets busy, man, right? And I love parties and hanging out with people, and I love it. Uh, I'm an extrovert. I can't help it. It's fun. But I, I look at my schedule, and I'm wow, I want to do way more at Christmas than my schedule will allow. And, and if I'm not careful, I will just blow through this season. But John says it's really good for us. Now, watch this. Don't think he's a weirdo and that the people just sat around all day. Like, they had to go back and work. They're living real life just like you are. So don't romanticize this. But he is saying, hey, for this moment, who's walking up? We all need to stop. And I would say at Christmas time, it's good for us to slow it on down for a minute. Keep having your parties. Have a good time. That's all worthy celebration of who Jesus is as well. But it's also good for you or your family to stop everything and go, hey, let's do this devotional. Let's pray together. Hey, let's stop and spend some time talking about who Jesus is. That's what John meant when he said, behold. I'm not real good at beholding. My, my wife and I have been married 22 years, and we dated a few years before that. So 22 years of my wife saying to me, hey, how does my hair look? And she'll catch me sometimes because I'll meet her go, oh, it looks awesome. She'll go, you didn't even look. I was looking. You didn't look. Or she'll say, how do my shoes, do these shoes look good? Go, oh, yeah, they're great. You didn't even look at my shoes. You don't know if they look good or not, right? Now, here's the deal. In my defense, look, I remember the first moment I saw my wife. We were in college. First time I met her, we were freshmen, and I thought, that's one of the most beautiful people that I've ever seen. And I still think that all these years later. So I just make an assumption when Nan says, how do I look? You look great. Because there's never been a day that Nan walked by me that I went, Mm, no, no, never. I've never thought, ooh, tough day. Not once. Now, I'm sure she's thought that about me. I'm sure I owe her some apologies. But Nan owes me no apologies. She's looked great every day of our lives together. So I just make the assumption. But the whole point is what she wants is for me to look, for me to look and actually observe. And on a much, much, much greater scale, John the Baptist is saying, you need to look and you need to think and you need to observe him and you need to be grateful for him and appreciate him. Behold, Peter had a really good moment one day. Jesus asked the disciples who everyone was saying that he was, what, what are people saying about me? And they said a few things. And then he said, well, who do you think that I am? And in Matthew 16, uh, Peter said this, you're the Christ which means he was the Messiah, man. 
and you're the son of the living God, meaning you're divine. He got it all in one statement. And notice Jesus does not say, you're right, well done. This is not what he said. Look what he said. He said, blessed are you. In other words, you should hit your knees and thank God that you know who I am. And the next answer was, here's why. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. My Father in heaven did. In other words, hey, Peter, you didn't pursue me. I pursued you. And the whole reason you know who I am is not because you were knocking on the door of heaven, but heaven was knocking on the door of your heart. That's what that's all about. And so what is God saying to us today and what John say, John's saying we should all, if you're a believer, I hope that you'll be reminded today, you on your own did not go looking for God. You may think you did, you didn't. You were being drawn by him. He's the one that was knocking on the door with nail-scarred hands, pursued you, loved you. If you're a believer today or at any one of our campuses, you should celebrate the fact that you know Jesus. You know who he is. That's good news. Part two, though, he goes on. He says, behold, and here, here's the first thing you need to behold and observe about him. You need to know who he is. He's the lamb of God. He's the lamb of God. Okay, now why would that statement be so explosive? Because that is an explosive statement. And here, let me give you something. I've, I've said this before, but I want everyone to get it. You may want to write it on your margins. Here's five things to ask about everything you read in the Bible that will help you study the Bible. And by the way, this works for PhD level. It works for preaching. It's just transcendent, okay? And here's the way you do it. So if I'm reading a passage or verse and I wanna know more and study the Bible, I say, who, what, when, where, and why? Who, what, when, where, why? And as I answer those five questions about that passage, because that's gonna take some work, I'm going to have to read. I'm going to have to read the chapter before it, the chapter after it. I'm going to have to get online and study a little bit to figure out these things. But as I answer those five questions, if they are answerable, then I learn more about what's going on, right? And so when I come to Lamb of God, if I answer two questions, what is being said, let's say three, who it's being said to and who it's being said by, those three, if I can just answer those three of the five, I begin to understand something. So let's do that. Who is saying this at all the camps is here today? Who said these words? John the Baptist. John the Baptist is an Old Testament prophet. Even though you find him in the New Testament, he's still operating under the Old Testament system. Jesus called him the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. The next thing I need to ask is, what did he say? Lamb of God, okay? Thirdly, who did he say it to? And this is gonna give you what I'm looking for. Who is he talking to? Who is the audience? He's got a big crowd. Well, who's in the crowd? Are they predominantly Roman citizens and from the Roman Empire? No, you may have a few soldiers probably standing in the out. What about Greeks? Are they primarily Greeks? Nope. If you know your history here, they are primarily Old Testament believing Jewish people. They're Jews. They're religious. They believe the Old Testament. They're looking for a Messiah. Now, why would Lamb of God matter so much? Why would it be so explosive? Because this is a crowd full of people who their lives and their grandparents' lives and their great-grandparents' lives for generations on top of generations, they have always sacrificed lambs. Because they knew, these Jewish believing people knew that they were sinners. They grew up being taught that and that sinful people 
requires something to know the living God. It requires a Passover sacrificial lamb. And where did all that begin? Well, we got to get into our little Bible go-kart and go back in time to the Old Testament, back to Egypt, where the people of God were in slavery. And God said to them, here's how we're going to do this. You're going to take the best lamb you have. They all had them. And you take the best one, not the one that got run over by the truck and's limping. No, I won't take him. Not the one that's got the one eye looking out that way. You don't want that guy. No, you bring me the best one you got. And you bring him. And here's the word, and it's a tough word, and slaughter him. It's tough. Because sin's tough. And you put that blood on your doorpost, and the death angel will pass over. And then you will always do this. Because you're going to point to something greater. Because you're going to provide these little lambs, but one day I'm going to provide the lamb. And every time the Israelites would do this thing, this bloody thing, think about how hard it was. They were reminded, my sin did this. This little innocent animal has to go through this because of us, because of me. And all those Old Testament Jews knew that. So when John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God, and points him out, this is mind-blowing to them. The Lamb of God Let me tell you what kind of lamb Jesus was. Because I want to tell you why Jesus is special. Jesus was unique, he was perfect, and he was final. He was unique, he was perfect, and he was the final lamb. Now, let's talk about the fact that he was unique. What's unique about Jesus against all other lambs? Well, there's two major things. One, all other lambs had been animals. Jesus was a human lamb. Okay, now why is that a big deal? Well, because Jesus is gonna do something all the other lambs could not do. Jesus is what the New Testament calls our substitutionary atonement, meaning that he took our place. Why did none of the other lambs actually take care of the sin problem? Because they were animals, and an animal can't substitute itself for a human. That's an apple and an orange, if you will. That's not gonna work. So why is Jesus unique and also capable of taking away our sin because he was able to take our place because he was a man. And the reason he was able to do it and he was perfect, well, you go, well, how can a human be perfect? Because he wasn't born like normal humans in in the sense that we were. He was born of a woman just like you and I, so he's fully human, but he was born conceived by the Holy Spirit, meaning he did not receive the sin nature coming down through the male line. So you end up with the God-man. And the God-man, being fully human and fully God, perfect, sinless, but fully human as well, is able to take Chris Bell's place on a cross. And your place on a cross. Oh, you better believe I like putting up a Christmas tree. Because I know what it means. I know what the lights are about. I got a story to tell. This is my story. My story of how this Jesus, this Lamb of God, changed my life. And you do too, if you're a believer. That's why we decorate That's why we celebrate. He was unique in that sense. He was also perfect. All the other lambs, there'd never been a perfect lamb. You might pick the best one you could, but it would always have some kind of blemish somewhere. It was just an animal. Jesus was perfect. He was sinless, as we just pointed out. And here's real good news. He's the final lamb. This is good news for all the lambs. All the lambs of all time said when Jesus said this, when John the Baptist said this, they all said, amen. 
And that's the worst joke I'll say all Christmas. I can't, actually, I can't guarantee that. I may, have a, I may have another one coming for you. My kids will call me out on that joke. There's no doubt it's coming. But think about it. All those little lambs had died. But John the Baptist is saying, no, no, this one is the final one. Remember, Jesus himself will say it. Remember, for the next three years, Jesus will preach, but there's coming the day, and he was always headed towards it, where he will be slaughtered, just like a lamb, and his blood will be spilled. And as he was being killed, and as his body is nailed to a cross, right before he dies, he screams out those words, it is finished. I'm the last one of these that this world will ever need. That good news because that means that church today is different. Now we just get to decorate the halls and come in and worship because without Jesus, one of y'all are gonna stand out there with a knife and we got a pen full of lambs and you gotta pick out a good one and it is not the same experience. Think about it. Think about the weight of that. That's what they lived with. You don't have to do that anymore. Now we can just say that the lambs are really cute and pretty. In fact, you wanna see a picture of one? Let me just show you how cute they are. Here, here's a lamb right here. They'll, they'll pull it up. That's lambs. So many of them died, but no more. We never have to do that again. Why? Because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says. Paul was talking, and he's, looking at, he's talking to Jews again. He says, clean out the old leaven so that you'd be a new lump. He's talking about the covenants here. He's saying, we got a new way of doing things. You're really unleavened now. And he says this, for Christ, here's why we, we have this new covenant. For Jesus, and look at the language, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. That is all of our testimony right there. Why do I celebrate? Because Christ, my Passover lamb, was sacrificed. Well, why are you free from your sin, Chris? Why are you so happy? Why do you see the world differently? Why do you want to give your life to this Jesus? Because Christ, my Passover lamb, was sacrificed. I can have joy. I can have confidence. I've got eternity wrapped up in Jesus. I got all of this because Christ, my, my Passover lamb, was sacrificed. That's why, and that's your story too. But let me make clear today on this beginning of our Christmas series. You don't get to heaven without a Passover lamb. You're not getting there on your own. I'm talking to the good old boys in the room now. I won't talk to you for a second. I know my crowd. I grew up in the South. I got you. You've heard a million sermons. But you're not good enough to get to heaven. Because if you were good enough to good old boy your way into the into the presence of God, then Jesus didn't have to die. If Moses needed a Passover lamb, and Paul needed a Passover lamb, and Peter needed a Passover lamb, then you need a Passover lamb. And you get Jesus as your Passover lamb by believing upon him, not by being good, not by going to church, but by receiving him as your Passover lamb. And my prayer is that you would today. And if you're a Christian and you've received Jesus as your Passover lamb, then celebrate that truth in your life. Part three, what does he do? Well, this lamb takes away the sin. And that makes him unique because no other lamb had ever taken away sin. I mean, it was just pointing to the one who would. But again, I pointed out to you why the, lamb, the, the animal lambs weren't perfect and they weren't humans. They could not take away sin. It was just to push it down the road, to point to what Jesus would do for us. 
Jesus, you can write it down, did what no other lamb ever could do. No, no other lamb could take his place. They were just holding the place for him to show up. It's kind of like this. You know, most agree, most analysts agree that the greatest quarterback in the world right now is this guy, Patrick Mahomes. And if you ever watch him play, he's a lot of fun to play, uh, watch play. Just an amazing athlete and uh, really fun to watch. And some are saying that he's the best quarterback ever, even though like they're saying they're, he's the best we've ever seen. And if he doesn't get hurt, he's going to have all the awards and all that. Who knows? He's fun to watch. But he's real hard for defenses, right? And so what's happening is all these teams that are going to have to play Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, what they do during the week is they get one of their players who's about his size and really athletic like him to act like they're Patrick Mahomes throughout the week. So Monday through Saturday, and I saw this guy talking about it. He was the guy on some team they were playing, and he had to be Patrick Mahomes for the week. And he's like, and I tried my best, man. I, play, I thought that I was the perfect Patrick Mahomes substitute all week long. I was scrambling, running around, and then the game came on Sunday, and they played, and Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs beat this team. And this guy was like, and all week long, the defense kept coming up to me going, you are no Patrick Mahomes, bro. Good Good try, nice try, but you don't move like him. And that's true of all the little lambs. All the little lambs that came before, they weren't Jesus. They were just pointing to him. They were just holding the place. And so when Jesus walks up, John the Baptist, a, a Bible-believing, Old Testament-believing Jew who had done all those lambs just like everyone else, he goes, and there he is. There he is. The final one, the unique one, the greatest one. Who takes away sin, Jesus did what no other lamb could ever do. First Peter 1.18, Peter said this to Christians, so he's talking to us. He says, look, you know, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. That's religion, that's trying to keep the law. We never could. He said, that wasn't going to get you saved. And he said, and you're not saved with perishable things like silver or gold. No, you're saved by the precious blood of Christ. And now he, here's another one of them using that language. Like that of a what? A lamb. Without blemish or spot. He was known before the foundation of the world. He's been made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Jesus is our Passover lamb. And you've got to have a Passover lamb to know the living God. And finally, you may go, okay. So he takes away sin. He's the lamb of God. Remember, John the Baptist is telling us at Christmas time, stop and behold him. The lamb of God. Now you know what that means who takes away sin. He's the only one that ever did that. But how far does that sacrifice go? Was it just for the people that day? When Jesus died on the cross, was his sacrifice just enough for the people living while he did that? And no, that's not what John the Baptist said. He said he takes away the sin of the what? The world. That's good news. Now again, this will help you understand it. Remember the way we study scripture? If you go back and you realize his primary audience was Jewish people, then why would that world part be so important? What do you think most of those Jews probably believed? That if there's a Messiah, he's for us. And if there's going to be a lamb, it's for us. And John the Baptist drops another theological bomb on them when he says, and this lamb is for the world. So he just opened the doors to the Gentiles. You, know, you want to know why? You better be glad that he opened the doors to the Gentiles. Because that's you. <laughs> Just so you know. Unless you're a Jewish person, and thank, thank goodness for you as well. But most of you in this room would be considered the Greeks and the Romans and the Gentiles. 
And Jesus was for us as well. But John the Baptist was not a universalist. You know what universalism is, right? It's a false teaching. And it says this, that everyone will be saved. In the end, God is good and everyone will be saved in the end. Well, that's not what he was saying either because he himself will go on to say and the apostles will make clear that no, only people who believe upon Jesus will receive his sacrifice. So here's a way to say it. What does he mean when he says he will take away the sin of the world? He's saying the sacrificial death of Jesus was sufficient to redeem all believers for all time. It's sufficient. One theologian would say potential. Jesus' death had the potential to cover all the sin. So what does that mean? This is good news. It means there's never gonna be an Easter or Christmas at Three Circle where a lot of people come to Jesus and we come out here and go, hey guys, it was great. Another great year. 150 people came to Christ. We're baptizing 80 of them. But that's it. The bad news is we've used all of the grace of God. We have actually come to the end of his grace. That's the last people that his, his death had this expiration date on it. And we've hit that point in history and there's no more. Aren't you glad that we never have to say that? We never have to say that. Because the death of Christ, watch this, was for those who were alive when he died for those who had believed and were already dead. So it covered behind him, it covered in front of him, and it covered the future for you, for me. And one day I'm gonna die and go to heaven and hopefully my great-great-grandkids will keep being led to Jesus and I'm gonna be in heaven and this guy's gonna walk in who looks a little like Elvis and he's gonna say, I think you're my great-great-granddad. I'm gonna say, you know what, I am. Your last name, Bell? Oh, yeah. And he's going to tell his story about how Jesus, somebody preached to him, and he had heard stories that he had this line of believers in his family. And there he is, because Jesus' death is going to be good until he returns for sin. Hear me, folks. We have every reason to celebrate. In fact, John, not the Baptist, but the revelator, different John, got to look into the future, into heaven, and he wrote this down in Revelation 5, 11 through 13. He said, then I looked and I heard around the throne, the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads, which means uncountable and thousands upon thousands, layers and layers of voices. And they were all saying with a loud voice, and here is the language again, worthy is the what? Lamb, who was slain. He's worthy of what? To receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, and glory, and blessing. And then he said, so that was this group that was around the throne in the billions. But then I heard every creature. So then it came down cascading. And now every creature in heaven and on earth, that includes all of us. So John could see every believer and every person of all time that had believed in Jesus. And all of us will. That's included. He could see us. And we will all with one voice, we will cry out that same thing. To him who sits on the throne and to the what? The lamb, our Passover lamb. The lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. You better believe we put up trees and lights and we sing and we celebrate. Why? Because our Passover lamb is worthy of it, right? He's worthy. So today, yeah, we decorate because he's worthy of it. That's why we do it. Now, here's how we want to start our Christmas season off. Because I know it's tough for some. Some of you have a lot going on. 
we want to pray for you because some of you struggle and you're encouraged today, but man, it's still tough. It's Christmas, but you're still sick. It's Christmas, but your marriage is still struggling. We want to pray with you. And there's some of you that simply need to give your life to Jesus and make him your sacrificial lamb. Stop playing religion. I pray that you'd do that today. So I'm going to ask all over this room and at all our campuses, if everyone would stand. Right now we have our ministerial team that's coming, both men and women, to pray with you. And if you want someone to just pray with you, you got needs, we want to start our Christmas season in prayer around the front. You can come to one of them. They're going to be standing right here. But also you may want to come to one of them and say, I want to know Jesus. How do I do that? How do I give my life to Christ? And my prayer is today that you would not walk out of here without Jesus as your sacrificial lamb and that you wouldn't walk out of here hurting today without coming to someone and praying. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the first day of our Christmas series. May you be glorified and honored. We celebrate you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you come? Just come right now as they sing. Let's have some time of prayer. Come to one of these folks. You can kneel on your own. But why don't we have some time of prayer today together?